Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John, and welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid lazy negativity, we have decided to make this episode a drinking game. (laughs) Anytime you hear us say anything negative about this movie, each other, anything at all, you're going to hear this sound. That sound means we need to take a drink, and we hope you drink along with us. That's right. So pour yourselves a glass as we get ready for our opening shot. Talk about a film that is almost the perfect ad for Arizona, making it appealing. (laughs) (laughs) We have to go back to Arizona. I can't believe we ever left. Arizona tourism needs to see this film. (laughs) Shout out to Arizona for electing a Democratic senator. Oh, yeah. The governor was called as well. Yeah. No, the governor. Yeah. So anyway, okay. Kudos, kudos, kudos. Great, 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 great. So people, we are talking about the Fablemans today. This is directed by Steven Spiel, Spy, Spy, Spiel, first time, oh, first time filmmaker. Spielberg. Yeah. Finally gave right. him a shot. <laughs> yeah. This funny, movie. Finally gave him a nice limited, limited cinema release. This movie, <laughs> you, you, it, it makes it no question of how this genius rose. The only question is you knew you know you watching this movie you're like of course he's going to be a successful filmmaker the only question that remains is what happened with 1941 <laughs> <laughs> don't anger that guy again that guy came at us real hard <laughs> all right guys we're going to get to the fablemans soon if you're new to our podcast we are as we mentioned the love of cinema we try to keep it spoiler free for about 10 minutes or so in case you haven't seen this film uh we've been doing a lot of the limited release movies so some other limited release movies we did this past summer which are now streaming include things like mrs harris goes to paris starring the crowns leslie manville we saw that that's on peacock now as is the outfit and the phantom of the open and of course we've done all the hits thor love and thunder uh, hits, Morbius, right? we did <laughs> Doctor Strange. Top Gun. <laughs> Venom. Oh, we did, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we follow us, people. We like to drink and talk about movies. All right. Um, we're going to get to the Fablemans. Let's go to our sponsors first. John, you want to shout them out? Sure. Carlos Barozo is our beer sponsor. He has a handle, cbarozo.beer, C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O.beer on the Instagram. If you want to give that man a little like and follow and Check out all those beer-making shenanigans. And the music on this episode and every single episode is provided by the artist Dasein. That's Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N, available on all music platforms for free. All right. I'm excited. Nice. Last thing I'll say before we go is at the end of the episode and every episode, we give you our recommendations, what we've been watching for the week, so we hope you stick around for that. Last thing we have to do, the last piece of business, people, is our gripes of the week. Each of us gets one it's minute to get business. anything we want off our chest. If it's you guys are, if you guys have ten minutes and you just want to hear about the Fablemans, go ahead and skip. But this is this is our lives, people. This is what we do. I'm so glad we so, separate our audio. <laughs> <laughs> um, gentlemen, do either of you have a gripe of the week that you want to put into our Fablemans episode here? We're going to be doing our Black Panther Wakanda Forever episode right after this. We're going to be a little loose for that. So I'm wondering what you're going to choose for this one. A little bit of one when I was walking to the theater and I, it's, it seems to be that season again where. Set that timer, you coward. Come on. It seems to be that season again (laughs) where we're getting not only people on their phones, just people generally walking 
and zigzagging up the fucking sidewalk. So if you're at like New York mm. speed and you're trying to like, you get stuck behind someone, you go right, they go right, you go left, they go left. What the fuck is so hard with walking in a fucking straight line? The sidewalk is divided <laughs> into squares. There's literally a fucking line up the middle of the sidewalk yeah. that you can just follow. But no, you're over here and then you're over there. It's like, get the fuck out of the way. To New York tourists, they're the worst. I'm with you. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, have, there I have feel- been more tourists lately. <laughs> I feel like I feel like a Formula One driver when I'm about to pass someone. I'm like, oh no, they're gonna ram into me. They're gonna yeah. kick me off the course. Like, Dude, I, had, I, I, I was like motoring towards someone, and they literally just had, they had their head in their phone, zigzagging, couldn't get around them, and suddenly they got something on their phone. It was interesting. They just fucking stopped. We became very close friends, That's unintentionally. Right. <laughs> just grab some things they didn't want to grab. Dave, good gripe. Also, fuck Max Verstappen. Um, <laughs> let's. That's Jeff, you don't have a gripe. Well, of course, I have a fucking gripe. But what, what do you what do you want to talk about, anything, John? No, I I just I tune in every week so I can hear you complain about something. No, but I do not have. This is not a funny gripe. I have a, I have a somber gripe for, and I'm serious. I'm not kidding. I'm not trying to set you up. I have a, I have a somber gripe, and then I'll do the funnier gripe for Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. But somber, somber All right. gripe. All right. You ready? Sure. I'm serious. Now I'm now I'm laughing during this, but I can't. <laughs> no, I'm still gonna laugh. Guys, we have to stop naming shooters. We have to stop it. I got a thing today about this UVA shooting from all these different sites, and all of them, all they did was talk about this shooter. I don't give a fuck about the shooter. I don't care about him at all. I don't care about where he grew up. I don't mm. care if his neighbors are surprised that he did it. I don't care. He was an athlete, so now all the sports sites are telling me about this because he was on the UVA. He was on one of the teams. I don't give a fuck. I don't care about any of them, and that's all anybody wants to care about. The victims become pooled together into this little glot. Yep, I don't even know if that's a word. They just put it all together and they're like, they are now the victims from there. But this person, he, and then we hear about their life. And it's such horseshit every single time we get sucked in by the bait. And it allows these people to not only have a megaphone, but they go out in this blaze of glory. And it's so fucked up. And I know we're talking about hmm. movies and we're not, you know, we're not talking and about also, that kind of shit. Like, but it's been so, th- so stupid. It's so fucking there's stupid. Been all these news sites just I need to call each other. I can remember you guys' names. I don't need to add three fucking more. Yeah. So that's it. That's my gripe. It's fucking stupid. And we need our, our new sites. They're just in competition with each other. They just they, they want to be the one to get it out. They want the engagements. They want the clicks. And it's so fucking stupid. You went out that's of time. So. <laughs> Damn it. If you're a salesman. That's it. There's a fucking they made a fucking fictionalized narrative series about Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, <laughs> come on, I know it's complicated. Guy. We love, you know, we love never Booth meet your heroes. Oswald, who, by the way, Oswald didn't do it, but you know, Oswald and Dahmer and the Unabomber. I know it's complicated, but I, I know what the, the Colorado guy looks like. I don't need to know his name. I don't need to know where he went to preschool. You know what I mean? Okay. Mm-hmm. On a chipper note, you guys ready to talk about this movie? Yeah, let's, yeah. let's give it a shot. That's right. So this is a coming-of-age story about a Jewish family right outside of Manhattan who has to move to a different school where they're prejudiced. But no, I'm not talking about Armageddon time, people. We are talking about the Fablemans. Steven Spielberg's mostly autobiographical story where he... What what did I hear somebody say today that I thought was really great? It's, it's, um, it's, It's his autobiographical movie, but it's not about him. Oh, it was something. Ah, oh, fuck! It was oh. profound as if fuck. I was gonna say, if it was someone it saying, the "Get the fuck out of the way on the sidewalk," you stop looking at your phone. It was me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't buzz you because uh, I deserve that, and I, I'll buzz myself. Um, okay, so we'll get away with it. So I guess to keep him in check, Spielberg hired his now favorite 
writing partner, certainly of the past couple of years. Mm. And Munich, one of Steven's best movies of the 20s. Maybe, maybe his singular best movie. We love West Side Story, but Munich, guys, best movie of the 2000s by Spielberg. It's a tough race. So Tony, Tony Kushner is back to co-write with Steve this script about the Fablemans, which of course is the replacement for the Spielbergs. Um, his parents are Michelle Williams and Paul Dano. Paul Dano can do whatever the fuck he wants. He can be the Riddler, he can yeah. be this. He can, <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, he can't be like Chris Pine, but like, God, he just, whatever they want to do is amazing. Gabriel LaBelle stars as the teenage version of young Steven Spielberg in this movie named Samuel, or Sammy, or Sam, <laughs> Fableman. Uh, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen yeah. smoked a bunch yeah. of weed and was in this movie. Judd Hirsch <laughs> makes a cameo. Um, and that's probably it of the the major names that you would know. Oh, I mean, God. a lot of familiar faces. I mean, there's one when we get to spoilers, here and there. But, yeah. One in the end when we get to the spoilers, <laughs> which I thought was super, super fun. But that's it. It's about the Spielberg families from when he was very, very young living in New Jersey to moving to Arizona, getting his filmmaking career going, and um, eventually ends up in California as a young man. Off to make movies. Fablemans, two hours and 31 minutes. <laughs> Currently in limited release, opening wide next week, November 23rd, 2022. Who would like to take it away with your initial, well, whatever. You, yeah, that's the pitch. I don't need to read the, the description. Who wants to take it away with your initial reactions? What did that you fucking think? desk ever do to you? You've been punching it since the show started. <laughs> Have I? I just want to make sure I'm, I want to mess with my audio yeah. as much yeah, as possible. Yeah, you might not know. We know. Everyone listening knows. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> People, uh, people are sitting on the train right now going, shaking their head. That's right. Dave. Dave, kick it off, Dave. Thanks, man. It was, it was funny because I first heard about this. I didn't even know they were making it. I first heard about this from John. Um, and he was like, yeah, we've got to see this. We've got to do this. And I was like, all right, it sounds interesting. And then a couple of weeks ago, we did Armageddon Time. And again, that did not sit well with me uh, as well as it probably could have. So I went into this with a little bit of trepidation. Then I saw the runtime and I was like, oh my God, it's like two and a half hours. So I walked in and I sat down and the, the theater was packed, man. And, yeah, uh, mine too. Yeah, and fucking packed. <laughs> although I must admit there was, there was a guy behind me who was literally counting the minutes that the pre-show went for. It's like, it's up to 20 now. It's up to 22 now. So like, I, was, I was very amused On by money, that, every that time. running narrative. Got to the movie and the movie started and... There is not a moment of this film that didn't resonate with every fucking core of my being. I'm not <laughs> kidding. This might be the best film I've seen all year. And this is the wow. same week I went and saw Black Panther. So, mm -hmm. like, yeah, I, I saw Thanks them a day lot. apart. And, yeah, I cannot fault this. Absolutely can't fault it. There's not a department on this production that wasn't an absolute fucking A game. That's See the, this movie. The Mark Rylance, Done. The Mark I'm Rylance out. line is yeah. <laughs> masters of Shit, every craft. Man. Masters of every craft. Yeah, honestly. Hey. I, uh... I think ultimately I'm going to I'm going to really agree that I enjoyed this, um, and we're going to talk more when we get into spoiler sections about his life leading up to this point because like he's just he was you know his, his name was he's like Hitchcock like his name was synonymous with movies for so long especially when I was a kid I don't remember life before the name Spielberg was Fable a part Man? of pop culture oh, Spielberg, right. yeah yeah uh, so you know of course in, well. Just, no, I, was, really, I was reaching for it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Fucking terrible. Uh, that might be my only criticism. Was the, the name of their last names? Uh, but um, <laughs> well, I will say this: that I, Elizabeth was asking me on the way there. She's like, "So are you excited?" And I was like, "Yeah, for sure." I think my only uh, reticence may be that it could live in a sentimental place that the trailer 
kind of shows and Spielberg is shameless about his sentimentality. Every critic for better or for worse on his side or against him all acknowledges that he's, he can be overly sentimental. And this movie opens with a very, very sentimental sequence of them taking to him to see a movie with really sentimental, nostalgic, cheesy lines. And I remember thinking like, I was like, I think he's doing this to just make a point that like, (laughs) it felt like this to him and I, and it will turn into something else. And it does. This evolves structurally, thematically, tonally, the humor. This evolves into a very unique coming-of-age story Hmm. that was much more than I was expecting. It was, I was expecting, this movie is divided into several sections pretty neatly with how his, with like different stages of his family, either in geographical proximity, age, uh, dramatic events. And I was expecting this movie to kind of be all, or feel the way it does in his middle school years when he's first falling in love with movies. I did not see the next section coming. And I liked the way they ended up ending it. And I was just so pleasantly surprised. And I think more than anything else, and I don't know why this was so shocking to me, I guess he doesn't really work in comedy very much, as we alluded to with (laughs) The Ultimate Failure in 1941. This movie made me laugh a lot. Oh, yeah. I I found so much wonderful humor that I'm excited to talk with you guys about, not just in the performances, but setups, the writing. there There were literally written jokes that really landed really well. And just, he really... I don't know why I was surprised by this. He he's always worked really well with children. He found so much minutia in the society of childhood that I thought was really, really effective. And of course, the whole thing felt like Steven Spielberg was making a home movie. It didn't feel hmm. like it was gigantic. It which... felt like he was making a big movie for a teenager, which is obviously that just fit perfectly with, you know, where he was taking us back to. So unless you really, really hate Steven Spielberg. I'll give it two thumbs up. I think you I think you're gonna have a good time. I agree. Thanks, guys. Good All right. talk. Good job. Thanks. No, I, I more. What I, what, what I will say too is side. really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I I saw this uh, during the day on Saturday. I think um, I had to sit off to the side because it was fucking packed. This theater mm. and mine was packed too. Um, yeah, I didn't say that, but mine was packed as well. I mean, still in limited release, of course, but older audience for the most part. And and everybody in the audience was laughing like crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Crazy. There were audio there were audio issues issues and everybody was very quiet. I loved at the very end of the movie, two guys were like, let's go get some free tickets. And I was like, Yeah, all right, you fucking guys. Um I guess A-list doesn't help me in that regard. <clears throat> but um there were some jokes, especially the 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 Jewish Christian jokes that come in like the teen years that I mean fucking killed in this yeah. theater like uh, people were too. there must have been tons oh of God. Jewish people in my audience they yes. were rolling dude applause <laughs> applause oh, I loved it I loved it so much it's like the the one line that was like um, not to spoil but it's like oh well, I don't know we've gotten along just fine for five thousand years and every single person <laughs> in the yeah, yeah, yeah. theater yeah. is like yeah, yeah. oh my God um, it's it's funny because. Um, I did read one teeny. I wasn't trying to read the reviews. This is this is reviewed very highly, 86 Metacritic. Um, but somebody said like, despite the fact that it's narr- the narrative is clunky or something, and it's like bullshit. Go yeah, fuck yourself. Absolute but it, bullshit. It's, I think you just have to think about it like chapters almost, right? Is that, a, is that a fair assessment where you have these different parts of his life and rather than connect them with the singular, it's a fucking autobiography. Your autobiography, whoever wrote that, your, autobi- your autobiography would suck. I know it would suck because you would try to create this narrative or you would just tell this epic tale of everything you've done and it would bore the fuck out of everybody. Yeah, but like... Even though we agree. He chose these times and ends 
you know, it's gonna actually take a lot of time to unravel because it was so simple, but it's like, mm -hmm. okay, is it to show where he came from? You know, um, if you know you're Steve, like we always talk about like the different layers. The great film is the kind of film where if you just wanna be entertained, you can just be entertained. If you want to be like the Beatles where you go and you read 10 hours worth of books and, and watch 10 hours worth of documentaries and then re-listen to an album and the album's better, you know, that the Beatles must be really good. Or you can just listen and say that song's fun. But this movie, like, he, he's even talked about like Saving Private Ryan was his was his dad's movie because his dad was a World War II veteran of sorts. Mm. I think he was a veteran. I forget exactly what his task was. Yeah, um, he, he was in uh, India, but he was in World War II, but he didn't fight yeah. in the Europe. So. And um, and his mom um, was was Jewish from Europe, so the, the Schindler's List was his mom's movie. So if you really want to dive into your Steve, you could sit there and be like, well, maybe this movie is about how he's a little bit of his mom and a little bit of his dad, so you can see how he was made. But that's not even really doing justice to this story um there's this story about lust there's a story about being the outsider being the insider being the outsider being the watcher all of these different themes they're everywhere but honestly all they do is just support these very simple little i'm, I'm gonna call them chapters for because i don't have a better word for it right now of his life that were shot brilliantly they were so captivating and joyous and yeah it's two and a half hours but it went it went really quick it, did. it, felt, it felt like was, a 90 minute film and then there was a coda, and of course I was kind of, not a real coda, but you know, for all intents and purposes, it was a coda. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know, well, let's see what the point of this is. And it, it was like a proper coda. It was just like, I feel like I want to put this in my movie. And it's like, I feel like the audience like really respected that. Like glad they didn't try to like tell us what Rosebud is. He just wanted to tell this little thing at the end. And it was like, yes, this is the perfect way to end this movie. Cause it was kind of like, I hope you guys had a good time here with my movie at the yeah, end of this. It really I thought was. it was beautiful. It was great. I think we Jeff, I think you're totally right, dude. I think he, uh, I think that structure thing too, in a lot, so many things we're going to praise him for. And, you know, how difficult is that? He's, he's a great director, obviously. But the person who thinks that this should have a neater structure, this shouldn't be as interesting. I think we think this is a positive. That would have been the trap of a, fil a commercial filmmaker like Spielberg. I love that he said, no, 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 mm -hmm. let's, him and Tony clearly were like, let's, let's not do that. Like, we're not going to do Stand By Me. You know, that's been done before. This isn't a clean arc. I kind of want to just jump all over the place. And let's just try to find some truth in that life every step we go. And because of that, I think it ended up being a more interesting structural film than he tends to be drawn mm. to. I mean, he tends to be drawn towards very, very classical, cinematic, three-act structures, sometimes five-act structures. And this, this did not feel that way. And the fact that it was all coming through the genre of coming of age... Those yeah. tend to have very unique, uh, not unique, very similar structures. There's ways that we introduce the types of obstacles, the types of trauma. You see them deal with it. You don't think it's going to work out. And then maybe they'll get a pinch at the end where they decide to move on or they overcome that trauma. And this was this was like it was none of that and more than that. Like it really did feel like I was I felt like I was watching. And part of it does help that he was so young when he kind of makes that final move. We didn't like. We didn't see them cast a new actor and see him in his 40s and finally making it as a film. That's not his life. He got to start like becoming the freak that he became very soon after those last events at high school. Have you heard? Really, uh, a lot, a lot heard of time didn't pass. Gabriel so. talking about uh, when he got the role and he he was cast as like teenage Sammy and he thought it was just going to be for like a section of the film and then he got to like past young Sammy and he got to teenage Sammy he's like all right where do I check out and he just kept going and going and going and realized he was like <laughs> the star of the film like he thought he was auditioning really, for a very small part he nailed it 
He was male. I mean, they really, they keep they really made him look like him as he got older too. Like there's young See, pictures of him and his even late teens look. and early twenties. Yeah, it was really, it was beautiful. You know, All right, cool. guys, so let's, I, let's I, move I, into spoilers. Let's, cause I want to yeah, say, actually, before we, before we do, it. I just want to quickly talk about cinematography because there are some shots and like shot Giannis composition did. in this that is, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Janusz. Janusz, yeah. There's that literally, uh, like intake of breath. Beautiful in the framing oh mm-hmm. like Talk, yeah do you want to give a few there's a couple that are in the trailer that you could probably allude to um, but yeah there's, i mean so we go to spoilers there's like there's one in a corridor um when they're like at some point they go to prom during the movie and he's just outside there in the corridor and he gets frustrated and slouches against a wall and slides down it and the point that he finishes at he's perfectly framed in the camera like there's just this equal left and right. Everything is like you, you look know, at dude. it and you go, everything's where it's supposed to be. Every time they track during the bloody, the house, when they move from one room to another, like it's the whole thing. Like it's, it's noticeably beautiful. If you like, if you know what to look for, it was, this was perfection on camera. He is, he is. And this will be the beginning of the praise. We can just go ahead and hit the spoiler button because we're going to move into it now. But well, actually before I, I think we should hit seen... this one, but. Uh... Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess Steven Spielberg made a pretty good movie. Shocking. All right, we're going to move into spoilers. <laughs> um, you know, I came home and ended up watching over a couple days that Spielberg documentary that was on HBO. And I, you know, I had watched it when it came out several years ago. And I had, I used to have a lot of conflict with him because he was. Oh, we super watched it appealing. together. Didn't we watch that together? Probably. Yeah, I, I know I've seen it at least once. And I, it was after the 2018. Uh, did we watch that together? I thought it came out a little bit later after you moved. Anyway, um, the uh, I used to have a lot of conflict with with his sentimentality, and he's almost so perfect that there's almost like a God, give me some words. It's almost like it's maybe it's lacking humanity because the execution is so perfect. It's just so <laughs> just so good that it's kind of like where's where's the humanity? But you know what? That documentary and just the more research you do, and especially now that he's getting into this wonderful tender age where he really is. He's opening up and making very romantic films, and it is him. Like that, that is him. It, it is his truth, and you got to just respect that. But there are some things that, despite his truth coming through his work, it's just he just sees movie. He just sees where a camera should go. And what you're talking about, Dave, like we talked about it a lot in West Side Story, his camera blocking is unparalleled, dude. The way it moves, mm. a filmmaker might be able to notice, like, holy crap, how did he block it that way? But you, you watch them as not a filmmaker, and you have no idea. It's just what life feels like. Like, I yeah. never, ever thought about his camera movements when I was a kid, and I didn't know anything about movie I mean, making. there's never, there's never a thought the older, camera... Yeah, there's never a thought the camera should be somewhere else. Like, it's, no. it's exactly and where it's it so should be. it's so exciting, too, because he, for many, many years, did a lot of his own camera operating. He would, he's always very, very, very handsy with composition and lens choices and stuff. But for a lot of years, Giannis would help him light it and Stephen would still operate the camera. And you know, he's, and it doesn't seem to be failing at all. As yeah. So like, what does that say about his skill as a director with, and his relationship with the cinematographer? That that kind of quality that we see, it seems to be such a strong through line throughout his work, isn't failing at all. It's getting even stronger. Mm. The movement in West Side was fucking perfection. I thought this was to take that, again, that kind of filmmaking, which 
tends to belong on technocranes and hand camera handoffs and long what moving. Have, what about they Ready, were, Ready Player One, a, where they handed me an electronic device I mean, and that was the camera? Yeah, ridiculous. Like ridiculous. he had so much fun with that too. You can see if you watch the documentary uh, on that, he had so much fun with that thing. He's like a little kid, but the same thing here. Like he was like, okay, I actually have a ceiling in this house, and we're just going to shoot on this street. And this boy only has this perspective this big and these limitations. And it still felt like a Spielberg movie. Like that's, mm. that's fucking crazy. Just what he was able to, it just proves to you that like, you can give that guy 10 bucks and he'll probably make a better short film on his iPhone than like most <laughs> of us can make with 20 fucking million dollars. Like <laughs> I could not make that train movie that five-year-old Steven Spielberg. Made. <laughs> I, know, I know it. I know when it. When they started doing with the different angles and stuff, I was like, how is he doing this with the same set? <laughs> that's actually one yeah. like you could see like that was one of the shots that translated well for me when he sat there sat down and looked at it coming at him and it was like yeah. he was duplicating the, the frame and but it wasn't just that there was a moment of you saw him realize where the camera needed to be it was like it was like being the front of the camera looking at him you saw yes. it, it, the realization in that kid's eyes of like this is exactly yeah. where the camera was for this this now, shot. Right, they so translated that so well. It also it also showed us the first ever Spielberg push in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I will say in that same moment, that's kind of what I'm talking about. I didn't need the parents to say the lines. He needs to control his anxiety with the camera. Like they 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 had a scene about it. And I was like, we got it. Like. The shot you're talking about, Dave, like, we got it. Mm. Crystal clear. We, we knew what was happening with that little boy. The silence on the way back from the greatest story ever told. And um, the greatest show on earth, excuse yeah. me. And th this kid in, in shock, you know, we, we got it. I don't know if but he'd be going to see the greatest story ever told. <laughs> No, probably not. <laughs> uh, I'll take that. When he, <laughs> when he, um, but I believe this moment probably happened It moments like this when she was watching his film for the first time the train crash and all those angles that we didn't see get covered in the making of it with mm. his mom and he just looks at her and you could tell she's like what the hell and he's like i had to crash it a lot of times so so that i could get all the different angles and just like click like this little yeah. fucking freak of nature just <laughs> just understood that it's not interesting yeah. enough to only see it the way i saw it i have to make all the audience feel what that i was, saw that was leading first, up to that moment that was his first discussion with the producer it's like, yeah, we had to crash this a lot of times. So. <laughs> so cute. And the little, of course, if, I mean, we're just going in order now. The montage with the sisters, and they're in the documentary that Jeff and I were talking about. Like, they referred to him just dressing them up and scaring them and getting them to do all sorts of shit. Yep. It was charming and effective. Like, I think that's what this movie really captured throughout, was that there was a lot of yeah. charm. You know, it gets a little bit more dramatic, but it never lost, like, the... Holy shit! This kid's a prodigy. <laughs> it didn't feel like and it didn't feel like. I'll just quick, quickly. I'll just let you know a few reasons why it resonated with me was like there, there is like eight millimeter footage of me picking up a camera and making my family do shit and like acting out little things and stuff like that. So I was like, that kind nice. of resonated. And then the same thing with like the parents eventually going through divorce. Same thing like with me. So like I feel like I had some of his upbringing. Yeah. Um. Like or some of the, some, like we I mirrored some of the stuff that happened throughout his life with me and of course I went into the creative industry and when you get Judd Hirsch in there as the uncle yeah. oh my god who dude, gives him who gives him that space it was amazing the, the unbelievable he embodies that terrifying show of his uncle and it's, he tells the heart in it'll tear your heart in two speech oh my god I my, like my heart nearly fucking stopped 
because I was like, he's nailed it. He's absolutely nailed it. Like, yeah, it'll tear you, it'll tear your heart in two. It'll separate you from your family. All of these things happens. Like when you oh, throw he's, yourself he's into the craft. Like I, my family got used to seeing me in a box at Christmas because I, I'd, I'd Skype in because I was somewhere doing a show or you know, yeah. doing something. And yeah, it, everything he said just hit me right in the fucking feels. I felt like, I felt like the boy in that scene. The look on his face of just terror. Yeah, I was looking at it from you the back end. You, you, we, we, we love our family. You love this more. You know? Right then and there, it made me think about it. It's like, I'm turning 50 this year. And I started in the entertainment industry when I was 18. And I've done nothing but. Except that one yeah, night where awesome, I was like dude. serving shrimp at a, at a light and sound conference. But uh, like... <laughs> Yeah, um, and they, honestly, no, it, you're right, it does though. It like you have to give something up to get that. Yeah, I, I couldn't help but think of. So I, I would like to be Spielberg now, David. please, because I've I've given a lot. <laughs> yeah, where's your three hundred million dollars? You are um, Spielberg, Dave. <laughs> um, I I loved the the fact that I I, I, I kept seeing Chinese it from knockoff Spielberg. <laughs> I kept seeing it from Steve because Spielberg's famous is a lot of kids. He's like a bunch of children, a lot of kids. I believe he has like a big yeah, family. Like but then, but then you hear stories back to the documentary we talked about, John, where he was like, he did like Hook and Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, like kind of back to back. Like in the timeline of when they came out, it doesn't seem like it. But you know, with pre-pro and his pre-pro is like two years for some of these things that it's like. He's like getting calls from Robin Williams while he's on the set for Schindler's List, and then he's always. And it's like. Where does he spend time with his eight kids? You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't help but think that. I was like, he, you know, I mean, whatever he did, he managed it. I'm not assuming he's a bad father or anything, but like, it's like, thank God he made a lot of money. Dude, because- a call from, but a call from Robin Williams is like eight minutes of call in 30 seconds. So he said, he said, <laughs> cheer me up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I rewatched I that. Um, which I'll talk with No, Jeff, you're right, dude. I feel like it's, uh, I mean, he is, he is so prolific and as i got older and i started thinking and learning more about the businesses that he ran and how much of an active producer he was in dreamworks and amblin just uh you know he's constantly ushering projects throughout all of these right. things that he did by himself I, I, honestly i feel like there's a, there's a piece of us that there's not even a strong enough way to say this but like you take someone like that for granted when they become such a staple yeah. in the background like we take for granted that we just we happened to grow up in the age of Lucas and Spielberg kind of dominating. That didn't exist until them. You know what I mean? And it might not exist. Yeah. Not individuals. It might not no. exist after yeah. them. I mean, it's just nuts. And, and I feel like the, um, the fact that they all, this real group of friends that they all eventually became friends together, Martin Scorsese and Lucas, Coppola, De Palma and, and uh, Spielberg. It's just, it's just very unique that they, that they found each other. But that this uh, this version of him that he basically is trying to, I don't want the symbolism to become too literal, but growing up with these two kinds of parents, one who was this kind of whimsical, albeit maybe eccentric artist type that clearly had an enormous amount of talent and with the piano, I guess she was talented. And then also that his father was like a genius. That's something that I kind of couldn't stop thinking about because in the documentary and in all of his movies, you see a bunch of father issues. They're always there. And again, he may explore them with a little bit too much sentimentality for some people, but they're there. And I guess I didn't really think about it until I was watching this movie that he's supposed, apparently he was not good at math. 
And his father was like a fucking computer genius. <laughs> I can't imagine what that must have made him feel like. And obviously, like, don't think about who he became and the most successful, you know, filmmaker of all time. Like he, he, I can't imagine what that what that kind of, you know, stunting shadow did to him when he was a kid, as he was developing a prodigy level talent. It never they never yeah. made this father figure seem like. Yeah, he called it a hobby, but he was never like fucking give me the camera and throwing it against a wall and grounding him. Yeah, he, no. he never got that dramatic. But it, it, just to have a man like that saying like, are you sure you want to do this? Like it's, you know, I think you'll work hard so, at it, but like there's real things to be done here. And like, I feel kind of like you might be not really applying yeah. yourself as well. Did he need that? I guess that's kind of what I kept thinking about. It's not, it's not Beethoven's father. It's not Mozart's father. It's not the abusive guy, but clearly it ended up yielding somebody who can't get over their family's issues. And it's, it's given them a lot to work with. I don't know. I thought, I thought it was fascinating that, and we, we, we're, we are talking about the movie just in case anybody's zoning out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, this isn't about this. We are, this is all in the, the movie, but I thought it was fascinating. It, gender is a, a topic of discussion that comes up a lot but when you're the only boy with three sisters you know you essentially are sitting there being like well the father i need that's who i just imagine especially at this time period it's like well this is what men do this is how men behave steve you have to do that and he was clearly his mom's son and i feel like they did a good job of that but not monday morning quarterbacking it and explaining it to us if that makes sense like i feel like this is not something that a lot of people would have necessarily even picked up on but when when you have a huge family with all mostly women around the house and and the dad is just he, he essentially felt the same way about his design work as steve felt about movies where he was like this is my work this is my calling i need to make my i'm not gonna i need to move to california there's no question about going back this is my job yada 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 which is very similar to the artistic pursuit and steve is like i'm with my mom and now all of a sudden he has i'm not saying gender identity issues but like it does it it, it, it adds this complexity and nuance that is just simple in the movie because it's not hammered at home it's it's not something that they have to harp on a lot even when he's getting bullied he doesn't sit there and be like well you know what is it to be a man like you know he just kind of keeps moving about his day and i thought that was brilliant back to what you were saying about the friends though it's cool basically with this chapter idea where he kind of starts out as like the loner who needs his sisters and his family as most kids do you know like most of the time you spend with your family you don't, you don't get to run around with your friends all the time mm. but then when you see him in that middle section you see what a great friend he is you know and and yes it's kind of selfish because he wants to make his okay, movies that, his just, way i just want to correct you though that thing about most of the time you spend with your family uh from about 85 backwards that was not the case you were gone for a lot of the time good point good point yeah. touche good point touche um <coughs> okay forget i said that then whatever i'm moving on uh like yeah, but then your when parents you see did him not with... know where the fuck you were from like 8 a.m yeah. until about 7 p.m when it got dark well, yeah. to, to talk about the performances <laughs> before we get to how michelle williams might win an academy award for this performance which would give steve two in a row for this category um the the boy, ah, oh shit, uh, Gabriel LaBelle yeah. is the guy who plays Teenage D, basically. Mm -hmm. The fact that he plays that kind of big BMOC, like kind of big man on campus at that Arizona school where he's the filmmaker and such, and he has all these friends, and it's all about the movies, it's all about the art, and play, and then switches, and then he's getting bullied at this high school, is crazy nuanced, and to see these different levels of Steve, but not just Steve, of, of all artists, that you you are all of these different things. You're not just the cool kid or the jock or the whatever. You you develop many different identities along the way. And artists tend to have an, they tend to have done more. Very rarely is it just like the really cool kid the whole way through, and then they become 
successful, empathetic, emotionally mature, um, <laughs> transcending um, talents, you know, like to, to, to have taken on all these different layers, I thought mm. was detailed so well in here. Um, yeah. But this is my segue to talk about the performances because the performances are great. The, the Michelle Williams with the piano and the music, you could like, again, back to Steve, you could see he understands composition and tone and things that that are ephemeral. They're not just tactile camera operating, cutting, you know, film together things. It's like the heart and the soul and the reason and the why of of his art. You could see it be developed with his family, um, and to be a part of that. I thought I thought it was. I, I can't imagine doing a better job. Like of, Michelle of Williams as well, where she she was like holding it together with the rental house and the the the, the house that they built were building was was going to be the thing that fixed it. You got that impression that like once we got in that house, everything was going to be okay. And then she couldn't right. even walk in that house. She couldn't. And of course and she didn't have the slow, piano. Which her is... slow disintegration into like, I need to go. And she couldn't use the piano while he couldn't use the camera. Do you see how that lined up? Mm-hmm. That was, oh, that was some solid writing there. Because um, they're the same. The other they, thing they I noticed parallel, as well with, you know? uh, with the Bell's performance and or with the way the character developed, he started, there's a, when you start, filming things you start to see things through a lens and there were certain times where like the family was dealing with grief and stuff and in the mirror you saw him tracking with a camera yeah. and i i recognized cool. that and i was like i was like oh shit like that <laughs> that is where you start yeah. that's where you start to distance yourself from reality and humanity and literally just become the camera and it's it's one of those things it's a very scary place to go to like as a filmmaker it is very scary and I had the same thing and I'll never, you know, I had a young memory at a funeral when I was in my like teenage years and all I could do was look at the, the widow. I, I wasn't in the yeah. moment at all. I was just watching this woman. Like, what is, what was she going through? And when you do it well though, and I think he's, you know, I think that that moment is supposed to be kind of scary, but again, mm. this is such a meta project. When you do it well, you're kind of like, I'll sacrifice my humanity in this moment to try to capture everybody else's. I mean, other, I can at least yeah, lift other, everyone's up. Other people might've got more like something else out of that, but that scared the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I think <laughs> it's very unsettling. I caught myself when, doing that. <laughs> well, not to mention that that sequence happened after the brilliantly yeah. Michael Kahn, good job, brilliantly edited reveal sequence in the, in the, the edit, the eight millimeter edit yeah. machine when he finally sees his camera was loaded by the way every time he appeared with that camera that thing had film in it oh good so what he was you know, what he was shooting was was recorded <laughs> there's a movie of that yeah, yeah. there's a movie of that but yeah <laughs> the sequence cool. where he finally puts together and sees what his camera was seeing and to your point dave it's interesting because i was thinking about this while they were showing us this sequence he was behind the camera obviously especially back then that mm -hmm. little uh, Bolex had a viewfinder. So that's yes. the physical thing that your eye goes into, folks. So he was looking through that lens the entire time. This is the power of filmmaking. It wasn't until he was editing and he yeah. was looking at it as a storyteller that he was able to see and capture the story of his mom and Bert or Pete. Or what was that guy's name? Benny. Benny. Whatever yeah. the, the character's name is. So that that was also something that, again, I don't think everybody in the audience who's not a filmmaker was thinking about that, but I couldn't help but ignore, like, he's making a point here hmm. that there is something, that there's a different mindset when you are when you are just the capturer, not, not a lowercase j, just, but when you are capturing versus when you are putting together a movie. These are, this is, these are different parts. These are different things. There are different things that are firing. And the just the way that they made all that connect, yeah. Dave, that shot... 
the shot where he backs up against the wall uh, after when he freaks out and goes against the wall and it like doesn't it like come down and mm-hmm. like you see him like just over the movie Ola machine. I was just like, oh my god, like. His whole life was probably like I feel like at that moment he was like well, I can't there was also, not do this that anymore. Was, that was also the point where he kind of realized the power that you have with yeah, that, where he exactly. can with with his editing, he could and I when Find they when they, he no he could destroy someone, like he could literally destroy Ooh, yeah, his yeah. own world. In yeah. in that like and you did when he put that movie on for the family. I didn't know which way that was going to go. I was like, he's standing there at the door. Yeah, he's looking pretty mad. I, I thought, are we going to get the fucking the reveal, edit, right? Which, which editor are we going to get here? He might have given the other one. Yeah. Well, two, two things to that. I think one thing, and this is just what I got. I'm sure everybody will get something different, but he, he essentially didn't exactly what you're saying, John. He didn't notice that until he looked at it, the edit and he cut it out. He edited it out. Mm-hmm. And then he and then when he showed the movie, it wasn't just like he he felt like he wasn't telling the full story. And I, I don't know if he felt like a liar or whatever, but he he just seemed he wasn't happy with the film that they they were like, good job. He didn't sit there and be like, that was good. I wish I could tell you more. Like he clearly was hurt by it. And then the beach sequence, even the guy he didn't like, he basically was like, but that's the story that I got. You know, like that's how it is. So it's almost like he learned this weird lesson of it's like you can't cut out the shit. And, you know, you have to let the story tell itself and you just have to be in service of it. That's sort of the weird lesson that I got from that. But uh, furthermore, it was also this weird lesson about like lying and telling the truth, because I bet you it surprised him to see that about his mom. But if he really is the parallel of his mom, he probably knows that he's capable of doing that. And so it's such a small detail because there's no divorce and children involved. But I think it's important the way they chose the words of when the girl like broke up with him. When she, I think she said something like, we have to be honest with each other. And it's like, he's been living a lie this whole time. Like, why should we be rooting for that? He's not going to be Christian for her. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's fucking lying to her. And and I, it's not the same kind I of lying you, as the mom. I but- will never die. Exactly. And it's and he's like, he's so shocked by this. He's like, what? And then it's like, you're not living your honest, truthful life. You're cutting out shit. You're lying. You're, you're doing these things. And of course, there are, he's a kid. So, But all kids have to learn this lesson. But this is a coming of age story. And that is life and death at that age. And I got that from his, like paralleling with filmmaking. You know what I mean? So like, that's mm-hmm. how he became him. Like learning those lessons, not by learning how to use a camera. You know what I mean? I feel, and he just yeah, I feel, like, I feel like using the camera was installed. Like he came with that installed. It was yeah, just that, waiting. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. just waiting for him to pick it up. Like, and it's great because, like, you know, it's funny when he's looking back. I just, I get this so meta. You, you know, it's him. So I'm sorry, but like, I can't help but, but think that he's looking back on his life when he wants to make a movie like this about himself as a young person. He's looking back on it, and for the better part of his twenties and thirties. He still kind of fought this a little bit. Critics called him out for it all the time. That he was he kind of stayed in that safe commercial place. The sentiment was really upfront. He he didn't really break that until Schindler's List. I think that's mm. when a lot of people kind of finally said, like, okay, now you the gloves are off and you're yeah. you're unafraid of confronting your Jewish heritage and taking that movie off the taking the camera off the techno crane and actually getting in people's faces and make us actually feel something that is totally real. And obviously he's developed it more and more as he's, as he's gone on over the past, you know, few decades. Uh, and I, I guess I just can't help but wonder, like the artist kind of looking back, I wonder if he kind of was trying to show these moments in this film as these were opportunities that I began to see what I could be, but I was still afraid to not just film the sweet shot. 
I love that sequence at the end. Where I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you, Jeff. I thought it was a really interesting, complex scene where the high school golden boy gets really upset yeah. for saying, why did you make me look like the golden boy? That's yeah, not who even I if am. He, even, even if he didn't do that scene, you know what I mean? Even if they cut yeah, that yeah, scene yeah. No, no, I'm not disagreeing with you at all, but it's just, I feel like I feel like that was like Stephen was like talking to himself, like what was actually happening to you when that boy was saying that? Were you more obsessed with the idea of I can control the way people see other people or were you affected by the fact that I don't really know what I did? I don't yeah. even really know what this kid is upset about. I was just, it just looked good to me. He, yeah. And like this, I, this, I, I, this battle that he was moving forward see, was I got, like, I, got from I know that, how to make it look good. I got from that that he was trying to make something to affect people. So he manipulated the image to make them have the response that he wanted to put forth. Because he knew that they I would do, cheer. Yeah. Too, the, the, guess, only, the only way they would cheer is if he put that guy front and center. Because too, he wins, he wins is, the race at the end. So he I mean, basically so good. part of me wanted, I, to be go, wanted me to go, oh, he's, he's trying to help those two get back together because he kind of broke them up at the start of the year. But Maybe, maybe, but I guess... I guess. But I don't think that was it at all. I guess, maybe he just knows think, that plays well and that's not his story. Yeah. Know, sorry, what, what I took away from it, though, as well, as, as well as all those things, was that the kid was being very affected by it I think Gabriel, young Stephen, Sammy's line says something like, because it didn't work in my movie and it just looked good or, you know, something kind of general like that. It almost made me think like Sammy wasn't trying to affect himself yet. He was just trying to like go work with what I have and I know I can affect all those people in the audience. That shot of him just very, they, they had a lot of these too, where he was just like standing by the projector and everyone was just going nuts around him mm -hmm. kind of every time they would show a movie he was watching them yeah and, and i guess i'm kind of i guess there's a piece of me that like imagines an older spielberg especially these more tender films that he's been making over the past decade or so where he's he's now as much involved with the watching of them as but as the people but also, are like do you when, know what i mean like when you've made a film they're and you're more screening, personal when you've made a film and you're screening it to people you you don't watch the movie you watch the people no, of course, yeah. but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm still, I'm still going to stand by this though. I yeah. don't think a young Steven Spielberg left this age that we got to see him, this age group, left thinking I know how to make movies, and it is to tell how I feel about everything. I think he learned that yeah. moving forward, and I don't know. I just think it's really interesting that he chose I to like show very, us the the kernels of that hmm. when he was a kid. Very importantly, as well, I think he's one of those few people that forgot what it was like to be a kid and he for, he didn't he didn't forget what it was like to be a kid sorry he didn't forget he definitely never forgot it's all yeah. he thinks about yeah it, and so that's why he's able to relate to child actors so well and draw such performances from i, I yeah. mean the the story with et with drew barrymore is a classic example of that when he yeah yeah, yeah. he put those two guys well, on just to, the, just to make sure that there's a moment in moved. the documentary where somebody is interviewing him like at some point in the 90s or late 80s and they're saying to him you know like everybody's calling you a big kid and what do you think about that and he's he says something like uh i don't think it's inaccurate but there's a difference between being um childlike and irresponsible yes. and childlike and mature and responsible and still yeah, understanding I mean, how to achieve things and not lose that you side can of you absolutely remember yeah. what it's like to be a kid like and that's him dude yeah to be able to reference that yeah, he knows how to run a set. I'm going to go ahead and say he's responsible. Yeah. <laughs> also, he knows how to run a checkbook. Um, I was, I, the, the, besides, it, it's funny, you're, you're right about his sort of immaturity in his films, but I think my favorite 
uh, you, you know what my favorite of his movies is, is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I actually think that is a weird exception where he does, I don't know if he confronts it all the way, but he leaves his fucking family at the end of that movie. He literally is like, sorry guys, I'm going to fucking space. Like, I'm getting yeah. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah. I've been fucking you up. Going you know that circus. I'm not in the right place. I am joining the circus. I'm leaving my family. And that was an earned decision. That was Did not very childlike. So where I they do feel like the inside and, of the ship and, or the one where they didn't? Didn't. I, I don't want to see it. It's Jaws. I don't want to see the inside. Yeah, I don't want to see cool. it. Don't don't yeah. let me see it. Yeah. But also, um, but to that one too, he got the letter. This is the best part of the documentary. He gets a letter from the government that says, "Hey, um, we're 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 you know after your success with Jaws, I see you want to go into alien territory, and you know we we just want to discourage you from doing that. We think it would really be really bad from the country, whatever." And he was like, "Steve goes." Now I fucking know I'm doing something right. <laughs> now I, yeah. I have to make this movie and yeah, I have yeah. to double down on it because clearly I know something if the government gives enough of a shit to tell me to stop. I'm on. Let's go. Let's go. Never. As a, as a government, guys, it's rule one. Don't contact a filmmaker and tell them not to make something. You immediately Should tell you, them you're onto something. Government. <laughs> I heard uh, <laughs> some of the funniest, some of the fuck, because I, I can't get over how hilarious this movie was. The uh, breath of Jesus, you know, the whole kissing sequence oh, was, whole was really God, great. Yeah. Judd Hirsch, my, Judd Hirsch was fucking unbelievable. Yeah, my audience um, was howling with laughter and a little bit of terror. I want to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she, she was going to rip your shirt Even and go to bed. First... I'm sitting shiva for my sister. <laughs> everything, <laughs> <laughs> everything out of his mouth. Even the the point at the end before he gets into the cab was just was great. It's great. Uh, but I think the hardest my crowd laughed was when. The kid is breaking down. He's pissed at him in the hall. In the end, he goes, you can never tell anybody about this. He's like, I won't. I won't. Unless I make a movie about it. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. everybody <laughs> just fucking died. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't know what they said after that. Like I two lines honked, went by. We missed yeah, it. I honked like a donkey in the middle of the movie yeah, theater. Dude. I was just like, yeah. Because you have to earn it. it. If, he said that in the, if they said that in the first chapter, we would have rolled our eyes. But he fucking earned it by that point. Oh, and then, of course, man. he said, which I'll never do, which I'll never do. And then the bullet comes up. It's, God, oh, it's just so, so charming. Good. And then I guess, I guess for me, the last, like, really big smile I had on my face. And let, let's go ahead and call it out there because we're in the spoiler section. Yep. Um, David Lynch cast as John Ford is, is really yeah. good casting. It's apparently, funny. Apparently he works we for all... Cheetos. Did you hear the story about this, about how he, how they asked him? <laughs> I heard that Laura Dern had to ask him. Steve was afraid to ask him. So she called, he called, he didn't even ask him. He just said, Laura, can you call him and ask him to do this movie? And he would only do it. He would only do it if there was Cheetos. That's what you're saying. It's great. The, um, everybody who is into film history like apparently john ford really was like that and there's this great peter bagdanovich interview where he's asking all these deep questions Steve. and john ford's like next and yeah. he's just screaming at him but the humor and the humility and the wink that Stephen basically says with the final camera move the boy's walking off the horizons yeah. in the oh, middle yeah. and Giannis just like lowers it down it's just <laughs> enough for you to be like i feel like that was him just saying well Thank you so like much for that, all these that, wonderful years we've had together. That whole last scene, yeah. like where where he does the look at this horizon, look at that horizon, and it's literally <laughs> Where's the horizon? It's, yeah, it's hilariously it's it's like your entire film school in two sentences, right Honestly, there. Two, and, I mean, and, and that is how and, John Ford spoke. And they yeah. set they set that up, and then they pulled the move with the camera, and I fell out of my fucking chair. Yeah. So, like, so good, and dude. It, it so I, I walked out of that theater just floating on air. I felt so good. Me too. I mean, honestly, like, it was such a I know exactly move. what you mean. Like, so was... like, there were filmmaker in-jokes, but they weren't filmmaker in-jokes. Like, everybody got right. them because he set them up so well. Like, yeah. this this is comedy. 
Like it was, it was masterful. The whole thing was masterful. It was good. It took him how many years passed between 1941 and this movie? Like this is this is the most successful comedy he's ever made. Mentioning that travesty. Catch me if you can. Catch me if you can. Has got a lot of really great humor in it, but I still wouldn't call it a comedy outright. I mean, maybe. No, it's an adventure. It's. it's, I mean, it's based on a true story as well. And I just did the musical. It's quirky. This movie. Was funny. I it mean, I funny. laughed. Yeah, I was, can't remember the last time I again, laughed that much in a It was funny. It was sad. It it hit you in like in the heart yeah. a couple of times. There there was some stuff that was just absolutely devastating. There was oh it was, god, it had everything. Guys, let's talk just really. Quick. I don't want to end on this note, but the way he filmed again, so simply, this man's brain is a camera. So simply, dun dun, dun dun. Oh yeah, dun dun. Just oh, yeah. close up, extreme close up on that. The, yeah. Shots of everybody tight close. There wasn't a crazy camera move or anything. That nope. was one of the most effective it was that, death scenes. And then straight, seen that and then straight to Michelle Williams. <laughs> oh, no, and yeah. Oh. Michelle Williams is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. let's bring it back. We were great, trying to but... talk about performances a while ago, Jeff. You, we went off. I'm sorry. That was probably me. Michelle, you know, that's a... I think one thing to the credit of this film is that these characters were so strange there was enough weirdness to them just enough eccentricity especially the adults that it kind of didn't feel like it was falling into like parental archetypes he even says in his documentary you know we didn't grow up with a mom we grew up with a sister like she wasn't very parental she was like a sister Mm. she was like another one of us and i think as soon as you kind of accept that michelle is going to like she's not supposed to be an authoritative figure at all Something weird happens. And for me, it didn't really click until she started crying after the tornado. Like, I was kind of resisting it a little bit. Like, it just seemed a little bit hammy to yeah. me until we got to that part. And then and then I was all in. I'm not going to lie. I thought she was mentally ill. I thought they were going to... I didn't know what happened to his mother. I didn't know where they were going. But I was like, is she... Is this going to resolve with them eventually realizing that she's... Did y'all think that at all? Or a little was bit. I... Yeah, a little bit. Um, okay. like the, uh, yeah, think... the tornado, um, and also the monkey helped. Uh, there was, there was, there was a lot there where it was pointing towards like a little bit of mental illness, but she basically, she pulled the pin on a whole marriage to solve her mental, mental illness. It's like, I'm miserable here. I'm happy there. So I'm going to go there. And she pulled the pin so on a whole family. Yeah. yeah. This is the Mad Men era too. I mean, she's a stay at home, right? Like she was a housewife. I mean... It's, you know, you're in a box. Yeah, there's that whole like thing where she's like, oh, yeah, that was two kids ago. I gave that up two kids ago. Yeah, yeah. It's They're not um, playing anymore, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I she think, was I think we've... purposeless. She, she, she was a what you could, well, you could have been this, you could have been that. Oh, you were so good at this, you know? And it was, so I don't know if mental illness is exactly what it was, but it was certainly, certainly teetering on that for sure, yeah. Mm. Could have played on TV. She could have played... She could have played it. <laughs> yeah. Judd Hirsch when he's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, yeah, I, I wanted more of that. I really wanted more of that, but I'm glad we it's only great, got what we it's, got. Yeah. It's better for it yeah. that it was just that scene. Yeah. A lot of point, critics And, and when also... he points at Sam and all the family like looks at Sam and Sam's like... What oh. happened? <laughs> like, oh, sorry, nothing. There's a, there a little bit of me that felt like Paul Dano was... You know, maybe this is exactly how that man was. Like, it really did feel very kind of leave it to Beaver. And, and you know, I've heard in that documentary and I've heard other critics and stuff that like Steven's sisters have said that like they, that Steven like wanted his family to be like that. Like he wanted like the father knows best and here he comes. And I don't know if Paul was channeling a little bit of that. Cause yeah. again, it almost seemed, it almost seemed unbelievable to me. 
the, de mm. the delivery of the lines. The parents lived well, in a place for me that wasn't nearly as grounded as the children. Mm. And I, I know right. that must have been a choice. It, but did it work for you guys or did well, it like it almost bumped a little bit they, every now and they then? They watched a lot of home movies. Like they watched all the movies he filmed as of the family to get into character, learn how to play these characters. So I, I mean, I feel like if that was, I feel like that was definitely a choice. I also think I didn't say this. I didn't, I hadn't heard this in time for the Armageddon time episode, but James Gray said he wanted to cast celebrities so he had Anne Hathaway and Jeremy Strong as his parents, because when you're a child, your parents are godlike. They are celebrities to you. You think they're celebrities. You want them to be celebrities. You want you, you. They're these mythical figures to you. So I think it was a nice balance of humanity, but also this sort of not quite on the same plane as the tone of the movie. But I do think the movie aged into it so that Michelle Williams is humanized more and more throughout the chapters. And it's not just a timeline, a time thing like you. Now you're used to her after an hour. I think by the time you're at teenager in California, it's like you're almost, you know, you're almost a peer as, as we've gotten yeah. to. Mm. I think that was. Intentional. Yeah. I mean, by the time she that scene with him on the side of the road. Oh, yeah. She's like, you know, I, I never did anything with him. You know, I just I feel like that was, you know, by the time it earned it, by the time it got there. I saw just two friends having a conversation and she had kind of dropped the, the performance act of being their mother. And right. it was really, so I, I mean, again, that's design. Like I know mm. they're all smart enough to take it there. And again, it just all, this whole thing evolved into something so much more than you think it's going to be. So tell us what you think, folks, go, go enjoy it. Watch yeah. it in the theater. God Absolutely. damn it. Absolutely. Yeah. Dave, you made a joke about it, but this really probably is the first time in his whole career. He's had a limited release. Yes. This poor bastard. <laughs> We get to see this two weeks before everyone else did. Oh, my God. Go and see this film. Do not miss this film. Oi. Oi. All right, friends. It's let's wind it down. It. Let's end it with our final segment. What you been watching? What you been watching? Where we tell you what we've been watching, give you our recommendations of the week. Now. We got a two. Yeah, because I forgot <laughs> to record them again. Because um, we got a two for this week because we got Black Panther episode. We're going to record, record right after this now that we're Which getting a really little funny because I think we're releasing that first. So we're going to be talking yeah. about it. Uh, in the past Super as if it's the future so what do you guys want to announce that you've seen in this episode to not keep us hanging although if you want to know everything we've been watching go listen to our fucking episode people we'll put them out <laughs> Jesus <laughs> aggressive Dave marketing. what have you been watching Dave what have you been watching um, I caught up on American Horror Story I'm, I I was a couple of, I was a couple of seasons behind yeah yeah um, I mean. and uh, I just watched the uh, Death Valley one with the alien, like where they do the vampire alien thing. Uh, in the they split, it's a it's a double feature. Um, I watched that. The vampire one's good. The alien one, you can just skip it and go to the next season. It's unkind, Dave. <laughs> um, Elizabeth's uncle does a bunch of set decorating on that show. He's been doing it for years with him. Looks great. Gee, feel um, good about yourself. And now, I Dave? also, I was also, also um, Doctor Who. For anyone who follows BBC stuff, which is about to get a lot more popular because Disney Plus just signed a deal, I think, to be the no H, what no, it's Disney Plus signed a deal to be the home of Doctor Who in the US, and they just threw hundred yeah, and they just threw a hundred million dollars at it. So Doctor Who's about to get some fucking budget, no more rubbery creatures. Like they've they've been doing great no, lately. So yeah, no, keep let them just no, keep being you. No, they don't, don't have don't, they, 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 don't go to the mouse house. They've thrown money, but they don't have creative influence. 
a deal was signed, it'll mm. it'll remain the creative, like creative influence will remain with the BBC. They wanted it. It's it has a huge following. Um, I yeah, I caught right up to the end of the current uh, Doctor, uh, and that was a really good season leading into some fucking heartbreakers and then a what the fuck moment right at the very end of it. So, and I, I like, yes. I saw it on Twitter. The whole world went like, what the fuck when this happened? Like, cause they obviously mm. end of the doctor, they regenerate. That whole process did not quite go as expected. All so right. we'll yeah. That. yeah. John, let's hear nice. what you've been watching. I, uh, I can't remember if I told you I finished Mandalorian. That was fun. Watched the last, uh, most recent episode of Andor. Wasn't that fun? Fantastic. Wasn't it good? That is the best. This, that is how you do. That is how you do, do fan service these, right. Yes, it's mm-hmm. fan these service, th- but that's how you do it right. These three episodes, the prison arc. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's adult filmmaking. It's Bill just Burr, really not porn. Your, just your really. Boston spaceman back in action. Hey, it's a... Uh, it's just really, really good. It's just really good storytelling. There's nothing. Just go watch it. Uh, I watched. I also watched uh, for the first time Brian De Palma's Blowout with um, John Travolta. He plays a. Oh God! I saw that years a, ago. A film, yeah. yeah, film sound man. It's based off Antonioni's uh, Blow Up. John Travolta plays a sound man, and he actually records a murder, and it's all about him getting wrapped up in the, uh, you know, in that whole scandal and everything. It's fantastic. It's on HBO. Watch it. What did you watch, this, Jeff? I watched every single episode of The Crown in like three days. Damn it, dude. I'm so excited to watch it. <laughs> Is it so it's, good? It's a little different. It has There are certain things. I mean, of course, it's still The Crown. It's still Peter Morgan. It's The Crown. But That would make sense co- if I'd seen a single episode of that ever. It's so good, dude. It's there's so a, good, dude. You don't want to love it, but it's so good. It's well, yeah, well it's Yeah, it's true. It's, oh, gosh. Did, please let me watch the monarchy some more. Mm, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, but Dave, we're in the 90s now. Do you have any idea how fucked up the monarchy was in the 90s? Yes, I do. Seriously. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. He's a fully formed adult in the 90s. But, I mean, yeah. but it was turmoil. So you were watching a dumpster fire that was apparently put out 20 years after this. You know, apparently, like, because she just kept living, people, like, kept giving her respect. They're like, good for you, queen. You keep going. But, like, they don't even get... I'm not going to spoil. I, I'm going to say it. I'm gonna, I don't give a shit. Yeah, they don't, don't even get anything. through the. No, but they don't get through the 90s. That's how fucked up the 90s were. All of the other decades, 50s, yeah. 60s, 70s, 80s. We can't even get through the 90s. That's how fucked up the 90s were for the monarchy. We don't get through the whole decade. That much just, has happened. I just in remember the 2000s, going. I just right? remember in the uh, 80s. But they only have one more episode, so one more episode is going to have to cover 25 in, in years. In the 80s, I got dragged out as a kid to see Prince Charles live at a stadium and he, he he the wind caught his paper he's like shit i dropped my bloody paper and we all lost our shit because like the, the prince said shit so, didn't yeah. somebody throw a fucking egg at him the other day yeah well yes. what, what so the fuck like that, i mean it's i'm sorry stupid. australia was doing that two years ago fuck off stop stealing our ideas <laughs> we we got there um, first yeah we call stop, them stop ruining we throw little eggies on these motherfuckers. Yeah. No, fucking egg boy, guys, man. He, and, he nailed the fucking, guys, the fucking egg boy. Egg boy. He nailed the <laughs> politician in the head with an egg, and they, he was, became a fucking national hero because that guy was a dickhead. Yeah. Okay, stop ruining Matisse's. Just ruin the Guggenheim. You trash the Guggenheim, but don't ruin the Matisse's. Come oh, on, those fuckheads. Yeah, stop that. Um, stop that. Climate stop. change is fucked up, and we ruined our planet, and that's you're right. Can I say this last thing? How funny is it that Mars, it was like, okay, every 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 year, it's like, I think there was water on Mars, which means that there were people. There were people on Mars. Every year we learn this lesson that we already learned ten years ago, and I love how they're like, 
we can learn more about that. And I want every single time I want to sit there and be like, can you tell me about how they fucked it all up? Yeah. <laughs> can you tell me about it, where the atmosphere went? Because <laughs> that is more prescient for me. Whether or not there was water there doesn't matter to me at all. How they fucked it up seems like something we should be evaluating a little bit more in this conversation. Yes. Okay, and thank where you guys they, so much. And where did they much. go? <laughs> thank you. Oh, Dave, interesting <laughs> question. <laughs> I've only smoked a little bit of weed and watched some of those uh, alien documentaries a couple times in my life. Guys, it is time to wrap up our episode. Go to our feed, Wakanda Forever. We're watching a lot of Oscar movies, a lot of good movies. We watched fucking Tar. We sat through all two hours and 40 minutes of it and it was fucking awesome. All right, so go ahead, listen to our feed, subscribe, like. Dave set up the link tree. Oh, fuck, the four of you that are still listening to this point in the episode. Thank you so much. We love you to death. Matt, thanks for staying on the treadmill for an hour and four minutes. We always love that. We'll see you guys soon.